Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Thank you, Blair. Thank you, band. I just almost dropped this iPad. Uh, good morning. I'm glad uh, you are all here today. Um, I'm glad you can make it. Josh and Sarah on a little a little vacation, so uh, I'm filling in for Josh this morning. Um, excited to be here. Um, this, this message today, uh, it, it really relates to a lot of things that I've gone through in life, so I think it's a, 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 really, um, a really important topic um, for the church, and so I'm excited that we get to speak on it today. I do need you guys to kind of buckle in a little bit. There's going to be uh, quite a few sports references, and I don't know if you know much about sports, but um, I might give you PTSD or flashbacks of an FCA speaker for the three of you who have ever heard of that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've, I've grown up playing sports most of my life, going through from a kid all the way through college. So a majority of my life has been uh, kind of dedicated to sports, and uh, sports require you um, require extreme dedication. They, re- they require um, extreme work ethic. But I can think back on all the teams I played on from Little League to high school to college, and there was, thi- there was something that separated the teams that found success and the teams that didn't. Now, you could say we had good players or bad players, but there was always one thing as a group that gave us the best chance to succeed, and it was accountability. It was a- accountability throughout the team, all of us holding each other accountable to what we set our goals to. You know, as an athlete, your coach can... Uh, get you the best gear. They can yell till their head falls off. They can uh, give you the best nutritional plan. They can give you the best equipment. They can put the best strategy in place. But at the end of the day, it takes extreme discipline on an individual level collectively to be great. And the only way that really happens is, can you get accountability? I have in here my notes. Uh, I was going to say I'm so proud of you guys, and no one answered it. So... I'm not saying I'm not proud of you, but I'm saying I can't say that I am proud of you right now. Um, before we jump into that and before we jump into the scripture, I want to just kind of start by saying, you know, last week we had a great celebration of five years of Dwell, which is a really, uh, a really cool achievement. Uh, Elva and I and my wife have been here since the first year. We came about six months after Dwell opened. And, you know, I can tell you that one thing sticks out to me about Dwell um, and I think actually most people I, I talk to, if I say, hey, why do you still go to dwell? Why do you like going to dwell? You know, typically the first answer is they love, they love seeing Will Henson greeting them in the morning. Um, you know, or, or that like now we have AC and heat. Like if we were dwell four years ago, there would be no space in between you guys right now. There's a lot of like separation. We'd all be sharing blankets. Don laughed because Don remembers the day we were sharing blankets because uh, it was so cold outside. Uh, but no, but really, really when you actually asked, I, I'm, I'm serious, like, I would say almost everyone I asked, like, what separates dwell, what makes dwell, what makes you continue coming to dwell, um, and it's truly that it feels like a family. That's always the answer I hear, that's the answer that if, if someone's asked me, it's almost always what I'm going to say is that dwell has a, a familial, the, the, a family feel. I think it's right to say that that's one of Josh and Sarah's goals when they were coming into this, when God laid this mission on their heart, was, you know, the, the dwell tagline, so to speak, is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. 
And so that started with Josh and Sarah, but it only continued. It only became a culture. It only became a part of who we are at Dwellers because of you, because everyone in here who accepted that, who loved that goal, who loved that mission, and who now um, helped fulfill it. And so I think Dwellers really created an, an environment that is truly biblical and a, a biblical community and what it's supposed to look like. So today there's a very crucial part to um, a committed biblical family. And that's accountability. I think most everyone here in Dwell can speak to the power of community, the power of friends that are family, the power of being able to go through life, through tough things and good things with your committed spiritual uh, local body of believers. Before I can even get into the text today, before I can even begin to expect you to care about accountability, I need to remind you, I need to uh, urge you to share with you to know that we were created and designed to live in a community. God did not create you to live alone. God did not create you to go on a spiritual journey by yourself, but God created you to be a part of a family, a local family of believers who are committed to living a spiritual, healthy life in obedience to God. If you're not a Christian today, and you're here and you long for community, you, have a, you long to have a purpose in life, let me tell you there's nothing more and there's nothing else out there that you will find that will give you as life-giving than what Jesus wants for you here. And that is to live a life covered in his love and his grace alongside a family of believers who are committed to pursuing that life together. So before we can even care about accountability, because accountability is tough, it takes action, it takes work, it's sacrifice, we have to know that it's worth something that's more valuable than without accountability. A couple things to note, okay, before we go into scripture. We're talking here, Jesus is speaking here in Matthew, so this is Jesus speaking to, uh, and, and he's directing this towards a single disciple, so to speak. Um, there's a couple things we need to keep in mind here. This is directed to a disciple who is a part of a family of God. This is not a unbeliever to say, right? This is talking to someone who is a local, in a local church. So this is instructions on how to handle disruption of sin in the church, specifically when we know someone is living in sin uh, in our local fam church family. Secondly, as a part of being a believer in Christ, and even more so a fellow believer in a local church, your church family have all made public commitments to love one another, to repent of their sins, and to seek Jesus together, living in this communal uh, living. So it is very important that we have the ability, the openness, and the um, the, the action to keep each other accountable. So enough of the intro, enough of the, um, the, the pretext. I hope we all are aligned here now, so let's get into it. Let's understand, like, how, how do we be accountable? What does Christ-like accountability look like? And so here's our first sports story. So uh, we're going we're gonna to have these, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy a little bit of things about sports because they do relate here. I think it's hard to it's, it's pretty easy, right, to relate sometimes with accountability, but I remember when I first got to college, I, got on my, I was on my basketball team, it was kind of chaotic, and I remember before we started the season, the coaches came to us, and they, they presented this, what they called the Bulldog Creed, you know, you always got to have some kind of weird, you know, title of it, right, the Bulldog Creed, and the Bulldog Creed uh, had these lists of things that we were committing to uh, in pursuance of winning a championship, and it had all kind of things, and then we had to fill in what we were bringing to the team, but one of those things was accountability, and it was actually the first thing, was being accountable. Can we rely on you, and can we rely on you to keep others accountable? That was the, 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 the portion of accountability. And so 
with that accountability, you know, when you're coming in and meeting a bunch of new people at this level, you know, I was just trying to survive, I felt like. I didn't feel like I had a place to even keep people accountable. And I remember uh, we, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and we'd go out, and we'd do endurance runs. So we'd run, like, 5 to 10 miles, depending on, you know, how happy our coaches were. And so we would run. It was pitch black, dark run. And so once we were running pretty far from the coaches, the coaches couldn't see where you were. And there was always this place that these guys started cutting shortcuts. And they were cutting like a half a mile off the run. They'd run through these woods, cut off half a mile. It started with one guy, two guys, ended up being like half the team was doing it. The rest of us who weren't doing it were starting to get in trouble because we weren't finishing close to the time that these other guys were doing. And I, I, I knew that like there, we should have said something, but I I definitely wasn't confident enough to, like, hold these guys accountable. I also wasn't confident enough to cheat the system. So I was, like, that in-between of, like, well, I'm going to do what I'm told, but I'm getting yelled at every time. And I remember vividly, this was going on for multiple weeks during preseason. I remember vividly one morning, uh, Damian, one of my teammates, and he was a guy that you, you really just didn't mess with. He was a, a, a big dude. He just sprinted from the get-go. And you don't sprint because we're running, like, a minimum five miles. you got to pace yourself. And he just sprints, leaves everybody in the dust. And we're like, all right, he's going to be tired. We get up, we've been running for a couple miles, we get to the shortcut, and Damian is just standing there waiting on us in front of the trees. He's just standing. All of us get there about the same time, and, and, and Damian, before anybody can say anything, he just goes, if anybody wants to cut through the woods today, they're going to leave bloody and bruised. Now, I'm not telling you that Jesus is telling you to threaten or beat up anybody in church if you catch them uh, uh, going against their commitment. That's not the way we're going to keep them accountable. I will say that no one ever cut through those woods again, though. It was this moment, and, and as I mentioned, this is not necessarily the way to keep accountability. This is a little bit of a different world being on a, a sports team versus how we want to look at this in a spiritual life. But what I want to say is that moment not only kept people accountable for that situation, but it became a recurring thing that we were all, it empowered all of us to then say, hey, don't get caught slacking because Damian will take care of you, you know. And so we were all kind of empowered to bring this accountability to a team. And it, and it started something at the very beginning of my time that bled through the team. And because of that accountability, it really took us to another level. And so I don't want to talk about beating people up. That's not the way we, uh, we handle accountability. But what I want to talk about is what does accountability look like in the church? Is that something that's needed? Right. We could all agree that to be a successful group, if you're wanting to uh, build a company and be successful employees, if you want to build a team and go all the way, you need accountability. But we also need accountability when we look at it in the church. Spiritual accountability is just as important, if not the, one of the most important things when it comes to a, a healthy spiritual family, uh, local church family. So today we're going to talk about our little team, our little family at Dwell and how accountability Accountability is really powerful and necessary. More importantly, importantly, how Jesus instructs us on how to handle these difficult situations. So, let's jump into the scripture. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. It's important for us to kind of realize how this text was written. This was written to the disciple who realizes that, he is, that someone is sinning. Someone is sinning against him. Someone is sinning against the church. It's not written to the uh, offender. This is not a, a story or instruction on, hey, if you mess up, you need to repent and come to know Christ. No, this is a story on the, uh, the church who is realizing that a, a member of their church has started sinning, has fallen short, has started letting sin creep into their life. 
In a situation we find that someone in our local church sins against us or the church, they let sin creep into your life, and, you know, it's easy for that to happen, right? Sin is anything, and, and the, the label sin, sin is anything that goes against what God's will is for your life. Right? When we go into disobedience, God has a plan for what he wants in your life spiritually. And when we go against that plan, when we clash with God's will for our spiritual health, that is where sin is coming into play. And so when someone in our local church does this, when someone sins against us or sins against our church, what do we do? Right? I think culture would tell us when someone offends us, when someone like goes, cuts, like sins against us, uh, comes at us like that, we just cut them out of our lives, right, sometimes. We get mad, we get angry. You know, you can go on your burner phone and anonymously tweet bad things at them or X them now, I guess. You can start talking behind the back. You can gossip about them. You can get angry. You can judge them. You can gaslight them. I'm not even sure if that's correct usage. I still don't understand what gaslighting means. It's okay, guys. I'm only 30 years old, and I should, but I don't. My wife has tried to explain it multiple times. Maybe she's gaslighting me by explaining it to me. I don't know. <laughs> but what does Jesus say about handling this? Like, how does Jesus instruct us to handle this situation, right? This is not an easy situation. This is not a situation we should take lightly. I, I know that we all falter. We all fall short. And thank God for the grace of God to allow us to continue in his will. But when someone purposely or intentionally or even without knowing but is okay with it, sinning against us and the church, it cannot go unnoticed and it cannot go uh, without action taken against it. And so we want to make sure when we do take it, we don't take what the culture is telling us to do, like how does the culture tell us to act on this? How do we feel like we should act on this? But how does Jesus, how does the word of God instruct us to, to handle these situations? Confrontation that leads to restoration and not punishment. First, we are to acknowledge and not judge. The goal is restoration and not punishment. This is not a gotcha moment. When you find someone sinning against you, when sinning in church, you find someone who's slipping up, who's making the mistakes, we don't go and just try to call them out and say, gotcha. I'm better than you. I love you, so I'm going to help you out, but I'm better than you because you're falling short. No, this is a moment when you are pleading for a friend to come back to the grace of God. We are pleading that they would get back on track and they would repent from this sin that's taking over. And so what Jesus says is that we should go one-on-one, -on -one, right? This goes completely against what culture is saying. The normal reaction is, hey, I'm going to cut them out of my life. But if we are to confront them, to meet them in the middle of that, that is to show love. Not judgment. That's to show love to a friend. And there's two things that should empower you that you can have this conversation. That you can come and have a conversation with someone in your local family, uh, church family, if you believe they're messing up, if you believe they're sinning against you or the church. Number one, you committed to this life together. You're part of something bigger. You came together in this church. You've made public commitments to serve Jesus, that you are saved and you've repented from your sins. And you are journeying. When you join a local church family, you're committing with that family saying, I need support and I want to support you and I need the help to get through this life spiritually. I need, I need you to keep me accountable. I need you to provide rest when I need you. I need you to provide support when I need it. So know that you have that, that empoweringness of that you committed to his life together. And number two, you know that a life pursuing Jesus, a life that is spiritually healthy, is so much better than a life that lets sin start creeping in. 
It's worth the sacrifice. It's worth the discomfort, the uncomfortableness of having that conversation. It is completely worth it. And so Jesus' first step is to let the offender know. Let, we all know that we aren't perfect. We all know that we can slip and, and fall into sin. How easy it is for something little to kind of creep into our life, and we may not even be aware of it. If we're not constantly on guard, we may not be aware. And so for you to have a local family who's looking out for you, for you to be a part of that local family who needs to be on the lookout for it, it's to have that conversation. We shouldn't, our first step isn't to put them on blast, but it's to make them known, to make it aware that this isn't healthy, it's not biblical, it's not what God called us to do, and it's not what we committed to do. So the first step of Christ-like accountability is to have a conversation. That's, that's it. We, we need to have a conversation. We need to make it known one-on-one with this person saying, hey, are you messing up here? You're, you're sinning against the church. You're sinning against yourself. Like, we have to get them back on track. Today, I want to almost exclusively be speaking to the, the church as we are to keep those people accountable. But I do want to say one caveat here as the role of the offender. If you find yourself in this situation as the one who calls the offense, who sinned against the church, if you've joined the local church and you've become a disciple of Christ, you have committed to, ha- to live a life of humbleness and openness for, uh, with one another. We can't have t- tough conversations with one another. Uh, if we do not have tough conversations with one another, we cannot grow. Right? If, if we can't ever address something that is difficult, that is intimate, especially something intimate as sin and, and spirituality in our life, we cannot grow as a church, as a body of believers. And so we must understand that an open conversation with one another allows the offender a voice to speak, because we may be wrong, right? This is why this first conversation is a one-on-one. You may think someone sinned against you. You may think someone sinned against the church, and you are worried for their sake. Go have a conversation with them. Give them a chance to, to speak to the matter. Give them a chance to understand, like, maybe they did mess up here. But that conversation allows, keeps from anything going above and beyond what it actually is. And so that's why it's criti- critical that we allow intimate and tough conversations to happen with our church. I think one of the best ways that this happens with Dwell is our family groups. We have individual groups that meet weekly. We get into highs and lows. We get into prayer requests, things going on in our lives. We keep up with one another when someone's missing out. And I think it's a way that that it's almost like a family within a family that really can have those deeper level conversations that I think is important for us as a group to grow spiritually. So it's important that it's a private conversation. If you can resolve this, if you can help your fellow church member come back to Christ, come back to a life of repentance, Jesus says you'll gain gain a brother or a sister. And so the importance of that first, the first step being a conversation. <clears throat> Number two, the risk of losing a friend is worth it to save that friend. Verse 16 says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. At this point, we've had the conversation, we've addressed it, and we have uh, identified that the offender has sinned against us, right, has sinned against the church. And they don't want to listen. They didn't repent. They, they didn't want to hear what you were trying to, trying to uh, help them with. And so we have to kind of go to another level. And what Jesus says is step two, you bring another believer. Bring someone who can be a fresh voice, someone who can help be objective and share wisdom on the situation. 
says bring two or three other people. Have a small group. You know, sometimes one-on-one it's hard, right? Sometimes it's hard to have that conversation, especially if the sin was between you two, if that person actually did sin against you personally. And so you need a small group of one or two people to come and confront the person and their sin. I don't want to, like, just glaze over this. This is a very instructional sermon and, like, very step-by-step what Jesus is saying. But I think this is one of the most important things that we need to be aware of is accountability. It's very, very tough to go address this one-on-one. But once you have that uncomfortable conversation and that person doesn't listen, what happens? There's kind of two things that can happen. One, we just give up and we say, well, we tried. We did what we thought. We tried to address it. We don't want to hurt our friendship anymore, and this is where we leave it. The second stage is we have to go get a group for this person's sake, for their life. And this is where the risk comes in, right? We've already had the conversation. Now we are bringing in a person, bringing in a group about the sin. And it's too important for us to fight this for that individual's sake and for the sake of the church than the, than the, risk, than the risk that it is of losing a friend. It's more important that a believer lives a life in obedience to Jesus than be your friend. If you're worried what they might think of you, that they might not like you for calling them out, it's worth it for their own sake. It cannot continue for both their spiritual health, but also for the spiritual health of the church. We have to fight this. We have to be on guard. We have to be aware. We have to keep each other accountable, and we have to continue all the way through this. Jesus doesn't say, just have a conversation and then give up if it doesn't work. He gives us uh, very easy instructions here of, of the steps to take. And the second one is bring a group. You know, back to sports, I had a really good friend on my basketball team, same basketball team, who was just going through it one week. He stopped coming uh, to class. He stopped. He going, started going half speed on practice. He was yelling at coaches. No one could tell him anything. It led to him not playing. We had to run extra. It started hurting the team. He was one of the main players. It obviously hurt him as an individual. He wasn't getting better. He wasn't. It, it really just caused this dysfunction in the team. It got to the point where, uh, you know, this was back in college. He used to come in my room, and he would always play on my PlayStation. I had a PlayStation. He would come inside, and he always wanted to play on my PlayStation, playing some, uh, a basketball game. And I remember we planned. We were like, me and Damien and, and another teammate were like, when he comes in tonight to play PlayStation, we're just locking the door until we figure this out. And that's what we did. He came in. I unplugged the PlayStation. We closed the door, and we figured it out. Now, there was a lot that happened in that room. And once again, it's probably not the way that Jesus is wanting us to handle accountability. (coughs) But what I will say is there was power in numbers, even two or three of us. We were able to say, as a team, as your teammates, as people who care for you and care for this team, we need you to step it up. We need you to get back on track. You committed to this just like we did. Now, we didn't pull out the bulldog creed on them, but we did speak to the commitment that we had made. Our goal was not to go in there and and hope that he quit the team or just to yell at him. Our goal was to get him back on track mentally and physically. Our goal was restoration. What Jesus is saying still at this point, when you bring in two or three others, your goal is still restoration. It's not punishment. This is a group of people who care for that individual, who want the sin to be dealt with more than anything. They're all three, four. That group is all willing to lose that friend over 
just to save them. Like the, in, the act of saying, if you don't want to be our friend anymore, but you come back into the graces of God, that is worth it. And so we, we have to fight this. When, when the one-on-one conversation doesn't work, what Jesus is saying, bring uh, other people in. Bring them in who can be objective, who can literally lay out the evidence that is against this person to show them in their wrong and why they need to be restored. So when there's two or three, your goal is still restoration. It's not to punish this person. It's to bring them back. But sometimes that doesn't work, and Jesus knows this. So he says in verse 17, he says, If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let, it be, let him be known to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The last step here is to bring in the whole church. Make aware that the church must do something because it cannot continue to serve Jesus as a body, a spiritual healthy body, when someone's going against their mission. When someone's living in sin openly against the church. The hope here is that the full congregation, the full church unified would listen. The unified conviction of the church would would, uh, convince or uh, allow the offender to listen to that. I know, last sports story, and you're getting tired of them, but here's the last one right here. Towards the end of my season, I had a teammate named Eight. And Eight was the closest thing to an NBA-ready guy you could meet. Like, dude should be in the NBA right now. He had all the talent in the world. He was the most athletic guy I probably had ever been around. And, you know, throughout the year, he was kind of the guy that, that no one could really talk to too much because he's the best player by far on the team. He kind of did what he wanted, but for the most part, he kept, kept in line with what people wanted to do. Towards the middle of the season, kind of end of the season, he just stopped playing in games. He would just kind of do what he wanted in the games. He would yell at coaches. He would ignore coaches. Wouldn't listen to anybody on the team. Nothing would happen. Nothing seemed to get through to this guy. I remember uh, we played a game. He did his typical eight stuff, and... <laughs> My coach called an emergency meeting at like 7 in the morning the next morning. We get into this, uh, to the locker room. Everyone has their chairs on their locker except one chair in the middle. There was one chair sitting in the middle, and he had eight sitting in his chair. And, you know, eight came in with his typical, like, this isn't going to do nothing to me. Like, you can say all you want to say. But coach, what coach did, coach didn't yell at him like he normally does. I seen coach try to fight him one time. I mean, it wasn't that time. He knew that this wasn't getting through to him. And so what he said is, you know what, I'm leaving you guys here, and he locked the door and left. We went one by one around this room, all of us players pleading to eight, knowing that we needed him and knowing how impactful he was to the team, knowing that uh, he was just in his own head and that, that we truthfully needed him. And one by one, every player spoke to why the importance of him going and the pleading for him to come back and, and to give his all. And I truthfully can say that like, it was the, one of the most powerful things I've been a part of. This was not a team that really got shared their feelings at any point. And so for this to like kind of happen, this kind of intimate moment was quite empowering and quite powerful. I can say that the rest of the year, eight was one of the hardest workers there. I think the reason this is the final straw, I think the reason Jesus establishes this knowing that, hey, if you can't do it individually, if you can't do it with a small group, Bring the whole church in, and that is a powerful thing. Can you imagine 
I've never been a part of it. Uh, I've never had this happen. I've never been in a church where we got to a point and the whole church came praying and uh, wanting and desiring, pursuing restoration for an individual who was starting to fall away. I'm sure there's times that it should have happened, that we should have as a church, not saying just dwell, but like in my life, there's probably been times when, when I wish the church had gotten together and, and helped some of the people who, who fell into sin and fallen out. But what Jesus is saying is this is a powerful thing for the church to be unified in a conviction of wanting their individual, that, that person who's falling away, to be restored. And if that doesn't work, if that powerfulness of, of the unified conviction of the congregation doesn't work, what Jesus says is the last step, still with the hope of restoration, is that you have to sever this person out. You have to cut them out of the fellowship. Jesus says to treat them as you would a Gentile and tax collector. And really that's kind of a, a saying uh, of the tape, kind of teaching them, treating them as an outcast, so to speak, like outside of the church, outside of their, their fellowship. This doesn't work. It's the only option is to sever that fellowship with the hope of repentance and restoration. All right, since you guys wanted one more sports story, I'll give you one more. I actually haven't been a part of a team where, and, and luckily no one on my sports team just eventually got cut out. Um, but maybe you saw the movie Remember the Titans. Uh, Elva goes, who are the Titans? You know, my wife's Icelandic, so never really seen many of our American movies growing up. Um, Remember the Titans, you know, is a, a classic football movie. It's about segregation. And, and, there's, and I don't want to get into the whole uh, in and out of the movie, but there's one situation where these two guys are best friends at the, the, the beginning of the movie. One's named Gary and one named Ray. And Ray uh, could not get over his racist views, his racism, and it became to a fact where he wouldn't even block for the new players who had segregated into the school. So much so that Gary had talked to him. He's like, man, you got to get over this. You have to block. You have to just... Even like just doing it for the team, like you have to be part of his unified body, and Ray wouldn't do it. So much so that Gary went to the coach and said, Coach, you got to cut this player out. He's bad for the team. He's my best friend, but he's bad for the team. I'm not <laughs> supporting Ray by any means. I'm not supporting that relationship. You know, there's a lot of things that go into today, but what I would have said is it's a tough conversation, right? Gary, Gary portrays this. Uh, pursuance of what's right for the team, even though his best friend, he had to let go. He had to like literally end a friendship over this. As a church, it's not what anyone wants. No one wants to cut out a friend or a part of the fellowship. But there's two reasons you have to. One, for the spiritual hope that that person will kind of, once they have been outcasted from that local fellowship, that they will finally come to repentance and restoration. They will finally realize their sin that is in their life and that they need a Savior. They need the grace of Jesus to bring them back. Number two, a church cannot spiritually fulfill what God wants into it and live a spiritually healthy life if they are just welcoming in sinfulness against the church. If I was on a basketball team and we all just kind of did what we wanted to do. None of us let it. We all backtalked the coach. We all just let people do whatever they wanted to do, not really come to practice. That, that team's not going to be anything successful. I don't care if you have the best players in the world. You need to be accountable. For us as a church, for us as an active body of believers here, seeking to make an impact for Christ and dwell, we have to be accountable. This is where you come in. Are you ready? This is your moment. Your shining moment is here. 
You matter in this church family. Verse 18 and 19 says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where there are two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Jesus shares how we are to handle sin in the church, specifically when a fellow member uh, actively sins against you in the church. So why does this matter to you? Uh, we see verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We can tie this to John 20, 23, which says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What we're, what we're saying here in the scripture is saying that for you to help bring someone back, for you to help them understand their sin and for you to forgive that for them, for you to bring them back in church is going to relay in heaven, right? This is a spiritual gift. Our eyes are seeking a life in heaven. And if we as a body of believer can help others maintain that and, and, and achieve that, it's a gift. You see, accountability is a gift that God uses for us to grow together and for us to experience restoration. Some of you, I imagine during this, were thinking, well, I've never had to do anything, and I don't think I ever will have to do anything like this. It's probably for like a pastor or a staff member uh, to, to, to find this and keep people accountable. Well, let me tell you, it's completely wrong. This is so important because you will be the one who sees a fellow member slipping up. Not a pastor, not a staff member, quite possibly it's the opposite, right? Think about on a sports team or at your job. Is your coach going to be the one that knows a player slacking off the court or will a teammate know? Will your CEO know that you're like slacking in a word day or not getting your job done or, or going against the company, stealing from the company, or will a peer know? Jesus didn't assign this duty to teachers and pastors but to fellow believers, to you and me, to be in the lookout for the spiritual health of our, our family. Not to judge, but to restore the local church. To keep, to keep an accountability that is life-giving. That furthers the church, that grows your church family both spiritually and together. You matter in the church. You have a voice. You have a purpose in Jesus. And part of that is helping your fellow church members grow and know Christ. I tell you, like, when I, I can think back when, like, in high school, I... And, and bat on my basketball team, I never really thought to keep people accountable. I thought, well, I'll just try to lead an example. I'll touch every line when we're doing a, a line drill, running back and forth. I'll make sure I run the full course when I have to run the full course. I'll make sure I'm there early and, and work out more. But I never took accountability seriously until I was, you know, captain of the team. Then it felt like it was my job. It was only when it was like I assigned to this duty. I didn't start coaching basketball for a few years, and I realized how much I desired every one of those kids to keep each other accountable, how much, how much I lacked the power to do so as a coach. I feel like that's kind of God's idea sometimes, how Jesus wants you. He's, he's looking down and saying, man, I just want them to keep each other accountable. I want them to be on the lookout. I want them to know that they have the, 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 the voice and the impact, and they matter to keep this church family alive and healthier. I said it early, and I'll say it again. Dwell has been a, a life-giving spiritual resting place for me and because it's this family, this feel of community here at Dwell. 
There's a culture of being a family here. I've been a, church, been a part of churches that definitely did not have this feeling, this culture, this experience. And we should be doing everything in our power to maintain that. Like, when we take accountability lightly, mistakes happen. Things falter. We lose that family feel. But when we take accountability seriously, when we build a culture of being accountability, accountable, our church will grow both spiritually and intimately together. Jesus talks about in the beginning, if you are able to have a conversation and, and, and allow someone to realize their sin and realize their mistake, you will gain a brother or a sister. That is an intimate moment. We see here in verses 19 and 20 that a healthy, committed group of believers is empowered by Jesus. He is there, and God will help him fulfill that church's uh, church family's goals of living a life committed to him. We say that we are praying to God to use us, that we want God to use well. We want God to come into this place. We want God to live in our life, to, to show us where to go, to, to empower what his will in our life. And what Jesus is saying is if you live in harmony, you come together as believers and ask it in God's name in a life pursuance of committed to a, a, a spiritual, healthy life in Jesus, he will be there. He says, I will be there. God will, will answer those prayers. He will continue to lead our lives and make an impact. So I want to close with two thoughts. And band can come on, come on up if, they, if they're ready. If, if you're, one, number one, if you're a part of Dwell or you're visiting from another church and you're part of a local family of church, a local church family, I want you to truly take the time in just a moment to consider, are you helping build a culture of accountability and handling sin in the church in a way of restoration and not punishment? Are you on the lookout? Have you uh, been praying about keeping people accountable? Are you accountable to yourself, to what you committed to? Number two, if you're not part of a church family, I want you to know that no matter how good your life is, no matter how bad your life is, no matter how messed up you are or put together you are, whether your life is going great or not so great, there's a place for you at Dwell. There's a place for you in God's kingdom and God's family. The creator of life, the God of the universe, wants nothing more than for you to repent of the sins and seek, seek him. To experience his love and grace and to live out the rest of your life in a church family that is committed to seeing you live a life that is healthy in God's eyes, that is fruitful and, and pursues God's will. We first sinned against God, and it was him who came down and restored us, who made it a way for us to connect with him and to know him. He created a way for us to experience restoration and eternal life through him, and Jesus wants you to experience that grace of salvation. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time that we can come together, God. We thank you for the word that you've given us, God. We pray that as we go through this life, God, that we're a part of a committed follower and we are a part of a family of God that we would keep each other accountable, God, not only ourselves, but our fellow believers for their sake and our sake, God, that you make those situations aware to us and that we can pursue that in a healthy way, in a way that you described and instructed us to do, God. God, for anyone in here today that is longing to be a part of a family that's longing to understand what this grace and this love and this restoration uh, is, God, that we pray that they would have the courage to take a leap of faith, God, to 
to confess their sins, to repent of their ways, God, to accept your love and your grace that you have freely offered. God, we pray, pray that we be an accountable church, God, that well be described as a way that we keep each other, one another healthy and spiritually in line with your will, God. God, we thank you. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.